Last Thursday, eight of Oklahoma's assistant coaches met with the media. Everybody except Jeff Lebby and Ted Roof. It was the first time we've heard from Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, Brandon Hall, and Jay Valai. And all four of those guys were impressive at the podium. Many things stood out to me, but most notably, all four new assistants brought on by Brent Venables shared three distinct things in my estimation. Energy, passion, and a genuine respect and admiration for their boss. My boss, Dean Blevins, said it best Sunday night on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz. Dean said a PR firm couldn't have devised a plan to make Brent Venables and the OU program look better than it has since he was hired back in December. Legitimately, everything surrounding Venables and the Oklahoma program has been positive. It's awesome. But also, doesn't it feel a little too good to be true? We won't know the answer to that question until about, let's say, mid-October, maybe early November. That's when we'll be able to see where the program is in year one under Brent Venables. But for now, the vibe surrounding Oklahoma football continues to be incredible. I'm going to play some sound bites today to back up that last statement. And the first one comes courtesy of Bill Biedenboe, who was fantastic last week. Biedenboe explained his process after learning about Lincoln Riley leaving for USC. Turns out Biedenboe told Oklahoma's administration from the beginning that if he could, he'd like to stay in Norman. Well, Brent Venables was happy to have him, and Biedenboe added that he loves Oklahoma and that even though he's not from Oklahoma, that it's home now to him, and he's going to retire in Oklahoma. After learning that Lincoln Riley obviously does not love Oklahoma the same way a lot of us love Oklahoma, it was refreshing to hear Biedenboe wax poetic about the Sooner State. Further, you could tell Biedenboe is absolutely thrilled to be working for Brent Venables. You know, as good of a coach as he is, and this may be cliche, he's a better guy. I mean, you can ask our players. I mean, what he's um, bringing to this program, not not even football-wise, has nothing to do with football, is, is as impressive as I've been around. Got his priorities and values straight, and, and I'm learning a lot. I mean, I, I hadn't been in something like that. I think he got a lot of it from you know, the place that he came from, and it's, it's really good stuff. I think if you asked our players, um, it's really helping them. And obviously, you know, our job, like he says, and we all know, is to win. You know, but ultimately, you know, it's to develop these kids on and off the field. I mean, because football is going to end at some point in time. And um, most places I've been understand that, but he takes it to another level. You know what I mean? And it's, it's really, really a priority for him. And he, he makes it a priority for us. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to work with him, work for him. And, you know, I think great things are happening. And I think the things that we may have been lacking in the past are going to help us get over the hump. And that's not talking about anybody. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's just a different way of doing it. Ah, that last little bit there. You could almost tell that Biedenboe didn't really want to go there, but then he did. I've been saying a version of that ever since Venables was hired, and it was nice to hear Biedenboe confirm that I'm not crazy. We all believe what Bill Biedenboe said is true. Could we be wrong? Of course we could. But if you could pick a culture for your favorite college football team, which culture would you prefer? Clemson for the past 10 years with Brent Venables on staff with Dabo Sweeney, or Oklahoma culture the last five years with Lincoln Riley as the head coach? I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. 
Hey there, we're back after a week hiatus. Apologies for being absent. Grant and I went to a concert in Oklahoma City last week. Our sister was there as well, and uh, it was on Tuesday, which is when we normally record our podcast. We had a lot of fun, but it obviously was not a podcast, and that's what you all care about. So our goal is to make it up to you today with tons of content, mostly coming from last week's assistant coach press conference. I've gathered a lot of sound bites from the two-hour extravaganza, so if you haven't heard much from that event, we'll play some of the best audio from that today. Thank you also to everybody who's left a five-star rating on Spotify. I erroneously said a few weeks ago that you could leave reviews on Spotify. Well, that was wrong, Uh, but you can leave ratings, and we appreciate all of you who provided your feedback. And the last time I checked, we're at uh, 4.4, I almost said 4.5, 4.4 out of five stars on Spotify, which tells me that there's people out there that have probably given us, you know, like one star or two stars. And I think that's great because that I think that might mean that we have some hate listeners out there. People that hate us so much, but they still want to listen to the show, which I think means that you've made it. You've kind of made it in podcasting. So I appreciate any and everybody out there who takes the time to listen to our podcast, whether you like the show or whether you don't like the show. The fact that you're putting time into it, I appreciate that. All right, so joining me today, as always, is a guy who has totally come around on Oklahoma's 2022 football team in the matter of two months, and he now thinks the Sooners are going to win the national championship. That man's Grant Benson. If you take time out of your day to leave a negative review on a podcast, you're a huge dweeb, period. So I don't We appreciate you for it, though. Why not? Because it's just a weird thing to do. The thing is, though, why do you care if someone takes the time to do that? And even if they say mean things deep down, there's there's some admiration there because they actually cared enough to take the time to do it. So I appreciate it. I think it's a waste of your time. Nobody cares what you have to say. Move on. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing. There's enough people out there that don't have that kind of feelings when it comes to our podcast and our opinions. And you're just going to blow by what I just said? Like, you're just going to go ahead and accept that I, I uh, claim that you think OU is going to win the national championship this upcoming season? You're just going to let that sit? I, I don't... Just I putting don't, words in your mouth? I don't see anything to push back on. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, I mean, no. I mean, it's not... Like, to be totally clear... I, you know, I'm, I'm still, I still kind of feel the effects of the national championship game last year, watching Georgia and Alabama and realizing OU is not even in the same stratosphere as those two teams. So that's, you know, the national championship talk that, I mean, we're still a few years away from that being realistic, but I mean, they are, they are the clear favorites to win the big 12 I, and saying otherwise at this point in time is trying too hard. Well, I'm sure a lot in national media would probably disagree with you on that. And uh, we'll have plenty of time throughout the offseason to uh, go into that, right? No. Trying too hard. Shaking your Trying head. too hard. Well, that's what I mean. Maybe that's a new segment for the big season preview or just throughout the year. That guy, people who are trying too hard. Because <laughs> I think we talked about it a few months ago or a couple months ago or heck, I don't, I don't know. I've lost track of time, but we need to kind of think of a different idea for. Uh, the big season preview show and kind of how we're going to cover that. So, yeah, maybe, maybe we can throw that into the maybe pile of topics. <laughs> National media person who was trying too hard. Uh, all right, so I don't know how much of the Bill Biedenboe press conference you heard last week. In the, uh, the opening take, I did play a soundbite from him. 
I emailed you the sound bites earlier. I'm not sure if you had time to listen to it. Have you listened to the Bill Biedenboe bite I sent you? Um, I, I mean, I didn't listen to the one that you sent me, but I, I heard it last week when he, when he said it, presumably. The, the soundbite where he said that what we have here now is going to get us over the hump. Did you hear that one? Yeah, I heard that. Well, I guess I saw, I saw that in a transcript last week. You know, I, 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 I specifically remember the word hump. <laughs> All right, well, cool. There we go. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very it's cool. Just, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of just uh, sends into your memory, huh? Yeah. I, when Don't forget that one. You will, when you, when you actually picture those words leaving the lips of Bill Biedenboe, that's a sight that you can't unsee, Lee. <laughs> what was it, Wednesday or something? Was it... Uh, in the middle of the week? Uh, Just big saying. Day, big day. Just saying. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I wanted to play that soundbite mainly because the end part, what I, you know, we were referencing with the, uh, the hump, that uh, you know, it, it seemed like Biedenboe didn't really want to go there, and then he did. He, he basically took a not-so-subtle shot at the previous head man. Uh, he's... And he even said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not mentioning anybody. It's like, yeah, you're not, but we're not stupid. So uh, I, he said it's just different. And so I found it to be very interesting. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, like your takeaways from Bill Biedenboe, basically saying like he's, he's really enjoying everything with Brent Venables. Things are different. And the different things that he's seen, he thinks can, can get Oklahoma over that hump maybe you know compared to what the you know the, the previous teams did even though he said that he wasn't taking a shot at anybody uh when you heard him say that what did you think this time of year is hard it's especially now like i've you know in the last couple of months or maybe you know more so in the last month or so as things have started to settle down the staff the program has kind of started to get into the swing of things with this new regime here i've you know i've i've been kind of cautious to not overreact to stuff especially as it relates to the staff the new staff because man i'm not you know it didn't feel like that long ago when they brought in seemingly a totally new staff on the defensive side of the ball when they hired alex grinch and roy manning and brian odom they brought in jamar kane for 2020 tibbs had already been there for a while um and i i mean i seem to remember really liking that staff and thinking that their energy was great their vibes were great um and then it just, you know, turns out as soon as, you know, kind of the thing falls apart when when Lincoln Riley leaves, uh, you know, a bunch of a bunch of stuff starts to kind of trickle out about these guys and people start to kind of think talk about what they really think about them. And we had to think about with Roy Manning kind of <laughs> recruiting for both schools. I We kind of everyone kind of forgot about so that. Weird. Um, I don't I just I'm I'm very much at a wait and see approach right now. I, I mean, I've been like I, you know. There's maybe some people who would listen to this that would categorize me, you know, categorize me as a sunshine pumper, a guy who kind of like tries to look at the positive, kind of always thinks at the end OU is always going to come up aces. I, I don't know. I'm kind of left scratching my head after the last regime and after all that went down, and I'm kind of I'm much more cautious than I used to be because we don't know. I mean, like I, you would agree, right? The the and you said it in your opening take. The vibes coming out of the program right now are great, are outstanding. It does feel great right now. It feels like the direction of the program is going exactly where we want it to. But I don't know. Up until about, 
October of this past year, everyone thought that that was the case with the with the previous guys too. Um, yeah. And I'm just yeah, I'm it, I, it, I guess yeah I'm just much more. I, I'm definitely just because I've been around a lot longer now. I mean, this is this is going to be the sixth season. I think we've done this podcast. I don't know. I, I you know, th- I'm not going to overreact to stuff as much anymore um, because really, and I know that's not what people want to talk about right now in March. Like this is fresh and this is new. But man, in September when they kick off against UTEP, none of this matters at all. What Bill Bedenbo said, what what Todd Bates says, what Miguel Chavis says. It's like, yeah, we, we like they can go up on the podium and, and give off good vibes all day long, but the last guys did that too. And there was still something broken. So like, and I know I, I don't want to disappoint people with that. I typically, I would like to come in here with hot takes. I don't really have any for these to me. They came up there and they just sort of, yeah, I mean, they just, they were, you know, all these guys, they were their personality. And of course, like you hope you, you see the personality and you hope that that's what comes through in like, in like a recruit's home. You know, you hope that's what comes through when they're interacting with other people as, as diplomats or as representatives of the program. But I don't, I mean, we don't know. We don't know. This is all the stuff that they're, that they're showing us, um, that they're choosing to show us. So I just, I just don't know. It's so hard at this point in time to come out and just be like, and be like, yeah, this is great. This is evidence that they're moving in the right direction. I don't know, man. What happens with Dylan Gabriel tears his ACL first day of spring practice? Oh, well, that, that's a thing outside of your control, though. I mean, okay, that, that would suck. Uh, yeah, I mean, no one knows. Uh, the, and I think we've kind of said versions of this the last couple of shows. Is, is We're super positive. The program is super positive right now because why not be? I mean, everything they've shown us, everything that, that's happened – has been positive. I mean, the recruiting class was great. We all like the Brent Venables hire. He's bringing in. He got Todd Bates, which we thought was not going to happen. Then it did happen. I mean, all of these. I mean, Jeff Lebby is an up and coming young, really good offensive coordinator nationally. I mean, all of these positive things have happened. And even though no games have happened, uh, we there's no reason for us not to feel like, oh yeah. I mean, they're going in the right direction. I mean, I guess. Look at it other ways. I mean, what if they would have not gotten Todd Bates? Sure, we'd still probably find ways to be super positive, but uh, maybe we'd be forcing it a little bit more. But that's a, a big a big one. What if they would have gotten somebody other than Jeff Lebby? Maybe they, somebody that was not as known or didn't have as much of a background. Or, heck, maybe, like, I don't know, no offense to veteran coaches, like, a, like an older guy that was kind of like a retread. Maybe we'd be like, ah, yeah, hopefully he's great. But, like, now we got this kind of young guy that has a rapport with the current quarterback now, which is Yeah, helpful. yeah. And so, no, like... I'd like- I'm happy about all that. I'm happy about that. I guess maybe right, this right. is more of a this is more of a commentary maybe on just like sort of the what the conversation is right now in the fan base and what it is. And it's March. I mean, the season just ended two months ago. So like, I mean, of course, like this this is the slow time of the year. But everyone just being like, ah, yeah, man, good vibes. Everything looks great. Everything like we're happier now than we were under Lincoln Riley. And I mean, in a lot of ways, that's absolutely true. I guess maybe this is more of my critique is this is boring. Like it's, there really, there really is nothing to nitpick at right now. Um, and there's also, so like, I guess I'm like, what, what different angle can we find? What, what else can we talk about? Right. Because it's like, yeah, I, it, I, I, I want to avoid going over and being like, ah, did you hear that thing that Todd Bates said? That was really cool. Well, so like the old Chris <laughs> Farley bit. That's, that's our entire show today. That's our entire show today, man. No, uh. So, yes, you're exactly right. The, the difference is, is that, and not really even the difference, 
we're not going to know any sort of results until September. And we all know that. And so you kind of try to find and look for things that I guess are different compared to the last regime. And you're right. I mean, we were all very positive and super happy about Lincoln Riley and, and that coaching staff. At the same time, though, there were things that we criticized about them that were like, okay, whatever. You know, and then now it's it turned out that a lot of that stuff maybe was a lot worse than we thought. Think of, yeah, think of all Riley. the think of all the minutes on this po- the hours on this podcast. We have sat and just anxiously talked about Lincoln Riley's awful late game management. <laughs> like just how many times did we just sit here and just and and be like he does all of these other things so brilliantly, but in these instances he's so awful and we can't figure it out. Whereas like now, it kind of feels like in the context of that, now that we know how the 2021 season went, it's like, uh, maybe that stuff was actually way more important at the time. <laughs> like that was actually sort of foreshadowing some more issues that possibly could be there. And like, I, that's where I am. If, if I was, if as an outside observer, like for instance, if I was watching Texas football do that consistently, I'd be like, yeah, there's some, he's got some issues there that he hasn't evolved on. And like, that's a huge red flag. But we would constantly be like, okay, that's, you know, that's not great. That's not great. But we would elevate all of the other great things in an attempt to paper over the bad stuff, to kind of talk ourselves into things going really well. And I guess what I'm trying to say is a very roundabout way of saying, I'm trying to avoid that. I want to avoid that with these because like, I'll be totally honest with you. Yeah. I like this new staff. I really like this new staff, the way that they speak, the way that they uh, connect with the fan base. They are at, like Brent Venables himself and all of the new guys that he hired as an extension are absolutely speaking my language for sure. I got some sound to play to back that up later. Go on. And yeah, and, and I'm, I'm trying really hard not to get sucked in by it because there's a lot of people who can talk like that, but it doesn't necessarily make the product on the field great. It's just, yeah, I, I and like I think. They're going to be Brent Venables, and this this is going to be good. Like they they are. This is Oklahoma football is not going to miss a beat, and they are going to be better moving forward, in all likelihood. But yeah, this this may just be a, a PTSD thing. Like I just, I was taken in by the last guys, and the last guys in the end pr- burned us, essentially. And that that doesn't so, that does not mean that's going to happen this time. But I'm just sort of reflecting on things, and there's a lot of stuff that I think that I've said over the last five seasons in, in the context of how it ended that just looked kind of foolish in, in, in retrospect when they didn't need to be, and a lot of it was emotion. Okay, so, uh, I, okay, yeah, and I think that brings us into the next layer of this conversation I want to have because I think I, I'm with you. The, the, the talking season stuff, all the talk, 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 talk without any sort of on-field results, sure, it, talk is cheap. Uh, it's of course it's all good right now but also does it matter not really I mean we can read into it and like if it was bad I mean if things that they were saying was stupid or didn't make any sense that would matter but for the most part everything we're hearing is just positive and good and things you'd expect I guess where I have a little bit more confidence and I'm not yeah it it can always go bad it can always be oh look back at the, the previous regime and it didn't go the way we'd hoped it would of course, that can happen with this regime regime as well. What's making it easier for me to think it's going to be better or it's potentially going to be better is that this regime coming in with Brent Venables, it, he has that track record at Clemson. 
10 years at Clemson under Dabo Sweeney, and he's bringing in some guys that he really likes from Clemson. And that is a track record of incredible success, incredible defense, national championships, and Britt Venables is not a young guy. He's a guy that's been around. He saw that. He took notes. He, he soaked it all in. And when he finally got that head coaching opportunity that made sense to him at Oklahoma, that's when he took it. And he knows exactly what it takes to get Oklahoma back to, I mean, he keeps saying Alabama because that's the standard. But really, I mean, a Clemson level. We take a Clemson level at this point because that's, that's awesome. I mean, Clemson's been right below Alabama for the last decade or so. And so that's what kind of makes me a little bit more optimistic is that he has that track record, whereas Lincoln Riley didn't have that track record when he got the head coaching job. He was sailing on the coattails of Bob Stoops. And Bob Stoops had the track record, granted, a lot of winning seasons, one national title that happened a long time ago now, but still a national title that Brent Venables was there for. And so I think that the, the idea of Venables coming in and shaping the program in his own vision using bits and pieces from Dabo Sweeney, Bob Stoops, Bill Snyder, that gives me the confidence more so than maybe, I guess, in hindsight, a Lincoln Riley with just basically Bob Stoops as his mentor and I guess Mike Leach in some way. Uh, I mean, the, the Venables background with his mentors now, or not necessarily mentors, maybe not the right word, but uh, coaches that he's played underneath is, is better than Lincoln Riley. And so I said at the end of my opening take, if you had to choose in your favorite team, what kind of culture would you prefer? The kind of culture you've seen the last 10 seasons at Clemson or the kind of culture you've seen the last five seasons at Oklahoma, what would you pick? And I think that's, that's the easiest well, yeah, answer I mean, ever, right? Knowing what we know now, but like one of my one of my complaints and one of the things that kind of rustles my feathers a little bit is we had no idea there was problems with culture at the University of Oklahoma until the middle of this past season. I don't know about that though. We always kind of would say things here and there about I mean, it's I know a lot of people like to use the word soft. And I we probably use it time and time again, maybe on this podcast. I don't know, maybe I don't use that as much as other people do. But that's part of culture, is it not? I mean, you we would It is, talk, but like it's and this is where it's actually like you know, um, allow me to kind of back up a little bit um, because I saw and I want to uh, want to pull like a, a Jason Kersey quote. He was on he was on Paul Feinbaum. I think it was last week. It was last week. Kersey went on Feinbaum, um, and I saw this on Twitter. And there's a quote that he said. He said every year under Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma got just a little bit worse. Um, and I thought that was a good. I, I think you know. I think that's probably the best way if you're trying to explain to a national person, that's probably the the best, most quick and concise way that you can articulate kind of the OU fans position. But a part of me is kind of like, that's not necessarily true because you could make an argument that at the end of 2020, that was the best, the best team Lincoln Riley's ever had that the end result of, uh, of the COVID season that was definitely the best defense OU has had in nearly a decade. And so it's like, you can, and like, I agree, the culture was, I mean, they were soft as hell in 2021. One of the softest OU teams I've ever seen. They were not soft at all at the end of 2020. And a lot of the same guys on the team too. Let me jump in though. Let me jump in though, to use an argument that you have used on this podcast, but for a different team. Does 2020 matter? Didn't you basically dog on Iowa State for 2020? It was a mirage. The way that season played out. That's a f- okay. That is a f- that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I would, um, 
I would push back on that by saying that a lot, a, a large part of my Iowa State argument in the context of that was that Iowa State does not have a lot of talented players. They're a, they're a program that is built on discipline and continuity. And my argument always then was that it was a perfect season for Iowa State with tons of chaos going on. Of course, like, uh, you know, of, of course, continuity and discipline was going to win out in the end. And it didn't win out in the end. They didn't win the Big 12. Oklahoma did. Talent won, won out in the end. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, if you want to push back on, in that way, that's fine. I, I always thought it was kind of inherent in my argument that I was bringing up Iowa State with them just not having a lot of talented players. Sure, and they do. Sure, I mean, I, they, had, but, they, had, they had 10 pretty talented players with a bunch of kind of scrap heaps around them. No, no, you're right. That was always part of your argument. I guess the, the main thing, though, is that 2020 is such a bizarre, maybe outlier type season that, of course, at the end of that season, that's when everyone's like, oh, okay, things are kind of coming around. But also, at the and start yes, of that I season, do. I, they began one and two, and they, I, were, they were sloppy. Yes. I very, very, like, I think you're, I think that's a good point. I, I think that is a good argument, for sure. Um but yeah, it's like when I it's and then going into 2021, the last start to cut you off. But that the last season coming off of 2020, where we were all very excited because of the way 2020 ended by far Riley's worst team by far. And that was a team that had the, the most expectations since probably his first year with Baker Mayfield in 2017. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I got to think and this may be controversial. I, I kind of want people who I think like record notwithstanding, because I think records should matter. You know, eleven and two is a is a really good season. It's a really really good season. In terms of like actual, I think play by play, this was the worst OU team since two thousand and five, in my opinion. <laughs> in fact, I I wouldn't even I would accept arguments that it was the worst OU team since nineteen ninety nine. And just how many times have we talked during the season? And we talked about this before the season. That schedule was super easy. Imagine if they had an average schedule. Like, I mean, their schedule shaped up perfectly, and they still lost two games. Two, right? Two? They lose two yeah. games or three? Yeah, they lost remember. to I mean, they Oklahoma. Should, wait, who are you, wait, you're talking about this year, right? This past year. Yeah, this year. There's yeah, Baylor they lost to Baylor and, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. Which and they could have easily lost a lot more, as we know. Uh, and that was a really easy schedule. And so imagine if they had schedules from the past that, that were not as easy. Heck, I think back to the 2008 team. I mean, we're dating ourselves, but, I mean, that schedule was pretty darn tough when they went to Brutal. the national title game and played Brutal Florida. Schedule. Florida. Uh, that was a really tough schedule. And, Faced I mean, there's two, probably uh, other seasons. Two conference yeah. champions in the, in the non-conference in that season. Big East champion Cincinnati and Mountain West champion TCU. Yeah, and... Uh, just a random sidebar you you brought this up to me maybe on the podcast a while back without i think maybe you texted me he's like do you remember that random thing in the 2008 season where oklahoma's defense was constantly knocking quarterbacks out of games colt mccoy was laugh at it but colt mccoy was the first quarterback that they did not uh injure to the point they had he had to leave the game that season okay i think it was like the sixth game so, yeah. of the year yeah it, sorry yeah that i just thought found that to be interesting so okay so uh, I did want to talk more about this whole idea because I think it's fair that you brought up 2020 and pushing back at the whole idea of like, you know, a little bit worse every single year. And I think even though you said, you know, I got, I made a good point. I think it's fair though, to point out what you pointed out because there's some nuance involved because they were playing really good football at the end of the year. But I think the season after that, the most recent year, 
to me at least, it, it kind of shows that that was a mirage. Like, I don't know what happened, but that, that wasn't real. That wasn't the real Oklahoma team. It was 2021, they should have been a lot better, and they weren't. We've, like, we've already established what it was. It was, it was Trey Brown and Trey Norwood. And, <laughs> and Ronnie, Ronnie Perkins, Perkins a little bit. And Ramondre Stevenson. And Ramondre. I, and, and I get that you want all the best players in football. I get it. But football is not basketball. In basketball, like you, you have the best player in your team, there's a good chance you might win. Like, yes, I get that football, the quarterback's the most important position. Outside of that, though, like one or two guys should not really be that big of as much of a difference as it was. It really shouldn't. And it was, man, especially considering how many returning players they had. And you can also make the argument that, that Woody Washington was a lot more important than we thought, even though when he did play this past year, he was good. He was fine. I mean, I, I still haven't gone back and I'm never going to, like, you know seriously rewatch the alamo bowl to see what heck happened in some of those blown coverages but uh anyways it sounds like woody washington is is doing well in the offseason i got a jay valai soundbite to play um so yeah i mean uh, look at last season like, we keep harping on last year i mean oklahoma's offense i mean that's lincoln riley's thing right offense it was the worst offense oklahoma's had under riley since he's been the I mean, heck, would you say since he's been at Oklahoma, including offensive coordinator? Oh, my God. It's not even remotely close. I mean, it was by far the worst offense he's ever. This was, this was the first time since he's been at OU that OU has not had one of the three best offenses in college football. This year, it wasn't even top 20, I don't think. So, so actually, I was looking it up today, and uh, they technically finished in the top 20. But God, I wrote this down somewhere. What did I write this down? I think they technically did. I, this is this is my own rankings. I, I I personally did not feel that OU was one of the twenty most effective offenses in college football this past year. They were really no, good I mean, when they so were humming. Consistent. Really good when they were humming, but they didn't hum very often. I know I wrote this down, but I, I think I remember. So they technically finished, I think, eighteenth in the nation in, in just total offense. But before I looked, up, I looked it up before the bowl game, which we all know Lincoln Riley was not a part of the bowl game. Before the bowl game, they were ranked 40th in the nation. They jumped that many spots after that. I think they had like 567 yards of offense in the Can bowl I, game. Now that we're talking about offense, I, I, I want to just bring up what I thought to me was the most eye-opening quote during that assistant coach stuff last week is when DeMarco Murray was talking. He referred to Eric Gray as the most explosive player on the offense. And he was referring he to last year, too. And, yeah. I, you know, we... You and I, we just we waxed poetic about Eric Gray in the offseason, going into last season. We we were just like, this guy is a lot better than TJ Pledger. He's a lot better than the guys that we saw, you know, with before Ramondre Stevenson was unsuspended. And then he just he was just not a factor really in the offense. And I know he had nearly seven hundred yards of total offense and, you know, a handful of touchdowns. But, I mean, people who watched every single week would, would say, that, yeah, he, he disappeared for a vast majority of the season. It really wasn't a factor at all. You got the running back coach saying that he's the most explosive player on the offense, and that was the case last year, too. What the hell? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if Eric he looks pretty explosive in the, like in the Alamo Bowl. Just saying. <laughs> they... But he have two touchdowns, I think, in the game, or just the, maybe just the one. I can't remember. He said the uh, one, but he had. There. I mean, he had he had chunk plays though, and he looked explosive. Yeah. He he was putting up and set. Or he he ah, oh, jeez, he was picking them up and setting them down. He was running fast. <laughs> yeah, if Eric Gray ends up having 
the type of season in 2022 that that we all were hoping for. I mean, we we made you know we kind of laughed about it in our going over our season pr- you know, predictions. I kind of gave you some grief about Eric Gray uh, not doing as much as he you know we thought he would. But I mean, a lot of people thought he was going to be really good, and you know he ended up being fine i mean not, not as much of a factor if he ends up doing a lot more under jeff levy's system I, I, that's going to be yet another indictment on lincoln riley and not being able to find a way to get his best players to football like it's i'm just, just like it, do it you remember because we were at the spring game we were at the spring game last year the very first play that they ran they split eric gray eric gray out wide and they threw him an out route for a first down it was like a 12 13 yard gain and i immediately it was, was a like quick little yeah. quick like quick pass and he, he caught it and ran for like 10 yeah. and i remember when that happened i was like oh my gosh this is gr-. i mean if if that's how they're going to use this guy i was just like i mean sky's the limit only they did that once the entire year <laughs> yeah just head just head scratchers head scratchers after head scratchers yeah so again we're we're gonna do this whole song and dance with lincoln riley leaving and you know we've there's a lot of sour grapes, like we were talking about it last time, like a big old bottle of old wine. So, and you know what? That's going to definitely factor in, and we're trying our best to also be realistic and be fair. Uh, but again, you can go back and listen to this podcast. There's been plenty of criticisms of, of Lincoln Riley and his system, while we've also praised it a lot more, obviously. And you know, we're going to find out who's right and who's wrong. And we're going to – don't get me wrong. We all think that Riley's a good coach, and USC's going to be fine. They're, they're going to do a lot of good things. He's a good coach, uh, but at the same time, does he have what it takes to get a team to that kind of next level to where they can actually be a legitimate team that can win a playoff game? And I keep saying that starting with just winning a playoff game. Okay, yeah, and the playoff is great. I, I don't even think that's sure. And it's like that's and you're. I, I think this is this is where like a lot of the national media is. That's kind of what they're jumping to. I'm still more curious whether or not he's capable of digging a program out of a hole. Sure. Yeah. Great, that totally different. Point. Totally different thing. And of course, you know, having Caleb Williams is going to help immensely in that regard. But I, I say yeah. USC sucks right now. They sucked last year. I like a legitimately bad, bad college football team. And that doesn't. And even like I, you know, I said I think Caleb Williams is the, is, is the most talented player in the entire country, regardless of position. When you, I mean. He, I, I thought he was probably the most talented player in the country, regardless of position, last season too, and yet you still see what what OU looked like at you know at times when he was in there. So, I, it's fascinating. It's it's gonna be really fascinating to see. But um, I am glad though. I'm glad at least I was out in front and I, I I nailed Riley's personality instantly. His his willingness to lie, his willingness to mislead, that was something that that was apparent to me immediately. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't see it because I, I just kind of thought it was a football coach thing. It was whatever. Uh, it was mainly me just thinking there's no, like a lot of people, there's no way a, a, a guy leaves, would ever leave Oklahoma for another college job, especially where he had it. And the way he got the job, a legend gives it, basically steps down and gives it to him. When he was going to have, Bob Soup's is going to have his best team in years. I mean, I just didn't think, it's like, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, and, and you got it. Uh, so that guy's gone. That guy's uh, out west. <laughs> uh, let's play some sound from the press conference last week about Oklahoma's new head coach from his new staff. And I got, I got a lot of sound bites here. I'm going to go a couple of guys that we know a lot about. Uh, Kel Gundy and DeMarco Murray. 
But also, I have a soundbite from Brandon Hall, the new safeties coach. I'm going to start with Cale Gundy. And the theme here that we can talk about is, and this is kind of going to, we were texting yesterday about Brent Venables going on Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichert's podcast and talking a lot. And, and you briefly mentioned it a little bit ago that just everything coming out of Brent Venables, his staff, it's, it's really connecting with you, uh, you know, the fan inside you, and it's making you feel good. Uh, and it's not necessarily what you would, you would hear from Lincoln Riley a lot of the time. And so this next part of the show, I play some sound. It kind of will illustrate to you just why, I guess, Venables is different. And it's from guys that he's retained and guys that he's hired. Our players have never been so excited before. I'm telling you, they have worked their butt off. And we haven't had to beg them to do it. I mean, they have been hungry. They have, they, they've been starved. But they have done a tremendous job. And, and they're surrounded by a big group. They've got, we've got a lot of people that are here. A lot of, you know, we got some more strength coaches, you know, the Soul Mission group. So there's a lot of people that are, that are helping them 24 hours a day. And, um, I mean, it's, it's a huge difference for me just seeing it. And, and sometimes changes, you need changes for things like this to happen for you to step back and then something else comes in and you're like, oh my gosh. You know, how come we haven't been doing this stuff before? You know, so he's 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 very special. We're 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 in as good a place as we've ever been. And so that's Cale Gundy talking about Brent Venables and the way the guys have reacted, the way he's reacted. And and to me, I like the part where he says the players have worked their butts off and the coaching staff hasn't even had to they haven't begged them to do that. They've just done it on their own. And the part where it's kind of towards the end where he says, Sometimes change happens and when the change happens, you think, oh, holy cow, I, why haven't we been doing this before? Like, you didn't know you needed change. And then it, it happens in this particular situation. Obviously, it happens out of their own uh, control in a lot of ways. But now, Cal Gundy's saying that, geez, okay, like, I didn't know we needed this kind of change. And now, now it's here, and I like what I'm seeing. I think it kind of goes along with what Bill Biedenboe said in, the, in my opening take, where, uh, like, this could get Oklahoma over the hump. Like, they didn't know they needed this change, but maybe maybe they did. And, like, the culture, strength and conditioning, you know, focusing more on academics. Like, like I don't know, like being a good person. I mean, focusing on faith maybe more. Like, th- these are themes that I'm getting from listening to Brent Venable's talk, listening to his coaches speak. And some of this stuff, you know what, maybe some of this stuff was also a part of the last regime, and it just it wasn't as clearly identifiable from the outside I don't know it's possible but even so like you hear the coaches speak and something is definitely different and it's gotten people like Cale Gundy who's been at Oklahoma for years I mean he played at Oklahoma he was on Bob Stoops's staff first staff I mean he's been Oklahoma forever and it has people like him saying that he's never been this excited about the direction the program's going sure He's got a new boss. He's going to say stuff like that. But so part of it's kind of maybe maybe part of it's like, okay, it's his boss. He's not going to say anything bad. But also part of it, I kind of believe him. What do you think? No, I mean, there's like I I think you should believe people when they say I mean, there's there's enough stuff trickling out now that clearly people inside those walls are pretty happy with who's there right now. Um. And that's not the first time you hear Kale talking about it, and I mean you hear uh, you know hear Venables talk about it on Gabe and Teddy's podcast. Uh, they you know they talk about buy in a lot and how they've had zero issues with with getting guys to buy in, and that's great. That's awesome, especially after 
you know, especially after we had the guys who transferred USC, you know, Hazelwood went to Arkansas. But other than that, I mean, I think we all expected a lot more defections and they didn't happen. And then so obviously now that they've they've been going through strength and conditioning now for over a month, it's it's really nice to hear that there's been lots of buy-in. You know, be kind of keep your fingers crossed that those transfers stay at a minimum after spring practice because that's you would assume that if there's going to be more, that's when you would probably see them. So it's great to hear the buy-in because especially in the context of how that information trickling out, how things are different. They are doing a lot of things differently. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. There was a player, maybe Cody Jackson on Twitter. There was some sort of thing that he quote tweeted it. Uh, and it was, I think it, it may have been like a, a quote tweet from, uh, you know, quote from one of the coaches on this, you know, in, in this media availability, where it's about how a lot of things are better. And then Cody Jackson quote tweeted and said, everything, everything is better. Hmm. Um, and so, and like, I, you know, I, I think that stuff is really interesting. I'm not someone, I'm not going to, I don't follow any OU players on social media. I don't do that. They're, they're kids. I'm not going to do that. But um, that's the stuff that I think is probably hold the on, hold most. On, hold on. Let me just quickly write this down. So you're, you're not going to follow kids. Got you're You're against following. Okay, good. On the record, no following kids for Grant. Got it. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, Especially kids that aren't yours. But no, I just I, I think that's more of a that's the stuff that I want to see. I want to see I want to see players who played under Lincoln Riley say, yeah, this this crap is way better than it used to be. This <laughs> this this makes way more sense. Or like this is hard, but we understand why we're doing it and we want to do it. Um, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, but no, it's it's obviously refreshing, and I think you know we're probably going to get to that Brent Venables interview. I'm I'm assuming, um, but I, I think refreshing is probably the best word because if if there's one positive i can take away from from the face of the new coaching staff so far is that their public persona they have absolutely they contrast with lincoln riley really well i mean it's 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 the exact opposite lincoln riley was close to the vest said never said anything i must be he just never said anything and whenever he did, it would it would always be a lot of words with zero substance whatsoever, or it would always be dodges. Um, that's not the case here. You know, you got Brent Venables. He, he gets asked one question on Gabe and Teddy's podcast, and he talks for thirty five minutes straight. Um, it's just it's totally different. It's it's completely different. And so, like that is very obvious from the outside looking in. But, you know, of course, I, I go back to my, my prior reservations just because I think it's really easy to get sort of sucked in on, in the emotion. But if there's a guy like Cody Jackson coming out saying, like, being very public about it on Twitter, saying everything is better, that's what I want to know. I, I want to know what, sure. the, what, what, what the kids on campus think right now, which, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's, that's something that we will we'll never actually get their real thoughts on. It just doesn't really work like that. Yeah, probably not. But we can kind of read into certain things whenever they – get made available to media at some point during the spring uh let's hear from a newcomer a new head uh, a new head coach a new assistant coach and it's more you know about brent venables it's gonna be brandon hall the new safeties coach on brent venables and just his intensity as a person and how he would describe venables you know you can say intense but i see it as as passionate i mean um he's very demanding um and i think the one great you know the one thing that all great leaders possess is unbelievable belief in what they're doing. And I'm telling you, when, when I say that, that when we talk as a staff, 
There is no gray area in what he wants to accomplish, what he wants to achieve. There's no gray area in the expectations that he has for me. Or, you know, everybody talks about all the people that we've hired, right, and all the roles that they have, and are they really doing anything? He is very detailed and very specific on what they're supposed to be doing. And he is not budging, and, and, and it requires a lot more of his time. But, you know, we talked earlier, and we're talking about Saturday and things we got to do. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to be here as long as it takes. And he, he's going to be here until it's done and it's done right. And uh, he's not going to deviate from that. And uh, a lot of people are going to, you know, be uncomfortable because of that. But I promise them, those guys that stay, those guys that buy in, they're going to grow exponentially from that. And uh, that's why I'm here. So that's Brandon Hall, the new safeties coach. And, and Grant, what I liked about that mostly is the part where he said there's no gray area in what Venables wants to accomplish and what he wants to achieve. He mentioned that he's very detailed, very specific on what everybody in that building is supposed to do, not just his coaching staff, but also players, too. And this is very important to me, which is attention to detail and the belief that this is the way that we're going to accomplish our goals. This is the way. And it's super important because Brent Venables, he's got those he's got those pellets on the wall to back it up. He won a title at Oklahoma. He won a couple of titles at Clemson under Dabo Sweeney. And, you know, and you've mentioned, I think, maybe the last episode or episodes before, Clemson didn't fully turn into Clemson as we know it until Brent Venables got there. I mean, Brent Venables was a major part of the last decade at Clemson. And you can kind of compare that, what Brandon Hall just said, to Lincoln Riley, who Riley undoubtedly has a focus, and he knows what he wants to accomplish. Sure, I mean, everybody wants to win. Everybody always wants to win it all. But again, in, in five seasons as a head coach, what have we seen? We've seen attention to detail in-game lacking, in-game adjustments, few and far between. Doesn't show much of an interest on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Riley calls plays on offense, which perhaps like, he's, he's the play caller, so maybe that, maybe that takes his focus off of managing the game the way a head coach should. Uh, and oh, this is where I wrote it down. So, yeah, his, his offense – his, his offense dipped again in 2021. So, yeah, I, I said it earlier. They were 40th before the bowl game, finished 18th. But that's still still the lowest offensive ranking for a Lincoln-Riley team since he's been at Oklahoma. And then you got Brent Venables. His coaching resume, you could make the argument, his coaching resume is better than Lincoln-Riley's. But the big thing, the big, the, the, uh, obviously Riley's got the head coaching experience. He's got five years of head coaching experience over Brent Venables. And that counts, and that counts a lot. It does. I mean, when you're a head coach, it's different. Uh, and, and so the knowledge that Venables has, he's, that he's gathered over the years, that's why we think that he's, he's going to be a good head coach, at least why I think that, because he's the, the, probably the most prepared first-time head coach ever. And I like the idea of Oklahoma being in this spot with, again, the most experienced first-time head coach, probably maybe ever, and he's bringing in a system and a culture that has had tons of success in the past at a lesser program traditionally than Oklahoma. And so, I, I, again, hearing Brandon Hall say stuff like that and just talking about how detail-oriented Venables is, like, I say good, good, because I think Riley was detail-oriented, but mostly on his own stuff with the offense. Outside of that, I'm not sure how detail-oriented he was because Oklahoma was unprepared a lot. Uh, I... That's. I think that's a really good question. I mean, that's a really good point. Um, OU was was unprepared very, very consistently um, during Lincoln Riley's tenure, and they also what, what was a problem every single season he was here penalties. 
every year. They had trouble with penalties every single season. It's an undisciplined team. They weren't disciplined. And so I, you, you kind of talking about Riley and going over that, just, it makes me think, I mean, just think back to second Saturday of September in 2017 that they just, they beat Ohio State in Columbus. And I remember kind of like in, you know, the, the last few minutes of that game in the fourth quarter, they were showing a ton of shots of Riley and Mayfield. And I remember thinking to myself, holy crap, OU just pulled off the highway robbery of the century, pulling this guy out of East Carolina. And like, the, I would think, I remember thinking to myself, they have, they have, they have the next superstar in college football coaching. And they, they got him just randomly from East Carolina. I remember thinking that and just think, just <laughs> all that's happened since then it's crazy to think that i would love to know the amount of time lincoln riley put into game prep that week and and not just that week because they were really good in 2017 and offensively they were awesome and so I, i'd like to know what kind of t- what kind of time he put into that stuff compared to the amount of time he put in in 2021 for some especially for some of oklahoma's big games just curious is it the same? If so, okay, great. Okay, like then I have no point. But I kind of feel like it probably isn't the same. And that's just human nature. I mean, it's his f- first year as a head coach, second game of the season against Ohio State on the road. Of course, he probably didn't sleep that week. I mean, I, I wouldn't have. I'd have been watching as much film as possible. I'd have had my guys up. And, like, and not to say, like, again, Maybe he did that all the time. I don't know. We don't know what he did behind the scenes. It's just didn't seem like it. We don't know. I mean, Oklahoma was really prepared that game. Granted, I guess offensively they didn't. They only they didn't score a touchdown in the first half. Yeah, that but was, that was. Remember, it was kind of fluky. They, I mean, they. It was fluky. They got into Ohio State territory every drive. Uh, there was one drive they didn't. They were pinned deep at some point in time in the third quarter. That's the only time they didn't get past midfield in that game. I, you know. I hope as as time as as we get further away from that, it becomes increasingly increasingly more obvious that that that's 2017 and 2018 seasons. Those offenses was mostly about them having Heisman Trophy winner, number one pick in the NFL draft, and and, and other Pro Bowlers on their offense too. I, I I hope the further and further we get from that, it becomes like oh yeah, that's actually mostly what it was was them having kind of generational talent all on the same offense, back-to-back seasons. And really, I mean, generational talent on back-to-back-to-back offenses because that 2016 offense um, in the second half of that season was every bit as good as the 2017 offense. Yeah, we'll see. I I do want to play one more piece of sound, uh, a coach talking about Venables. This one's kind of interesting to me just because DeMarco Murray, who played under Brent Venables obviously he's a running back so Venables is a defensive guy but when DeMarco was asked about hey what do you you know remember about Venables and you're playing I mean DeMarco definitely remembers them and he had a, a pretty good answer on it here it was we used to go at it you know in, in a fun way um I've, I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for him and obviously being a running back you you know you kind of with the linebackers a lot of he was a guy that recruited me out of high school out of Las Vegas when he was recruiting Ryan Reynolds so I saw a lot of them, um, have a lot of respect for him still to this day. And the one thing that I always said was he's a player's coach. And I remember obviously Curtis and Ryan and hanging out with those guys. They always loved and admired Coach Venables because of 
not just how smart he was in the position that they put him, that they, that he put them in on the field, but, you know, they, he loved them. He cared about them. And, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years later, it's the same thing. You know, he loves the players. He cares about them. And, and he's trying to get to know each and every last one of them every single day. And, you know, that's important to him. You know, you have a, as a former player, when you know a coach loves you and cares about you as a man, as a player, excuse me, not as a player, but as a person, you'll do any, anything for him. And so I, I really think those comments hold a lot of weight because DeMarco Murray, he, he's been there. He knows exactly what these players feel like. He knows exactly what it's like to be a player on a Brent Venables. I mean, he wasn't head coach, but he knows what it's like when Venables is around. And you, you hear Venables talk. You hear player, you know, people like DeMarco Murray, people like Teddy Lehman. Those are the two big examples. And uh, DeMarco mentioned Curtis Lofton. Uh, he mentioned Ryan Reynolds when it came to recruiting. Uh, but specifically, Teddy Lehman, you listen to his podcast. And I mean, Teddy Lehman straight up said that he owes his career to Brent Venables. I mean, he, he loves the guy. And so like DeMarco said 10 to 15 years later, he still sees that same type of love and passion. It's got to count for something. And and on top of that, as we see on the field, Brent Venables gets his guys, his defensive players in pretty good positions to succeed. We've seen that throughout his entire career, which <laughs> that's nice. That's um, so I love um one of my favorite favorite reasons that Demarco Murray is on the staff is I love um connections from that era of of OU football. I mean, because that's that's when I grew up. You know, I mean, that was I was a teenager. That those were my my formative years a lot of the way. And so, like, I'm always gonna think back on those time with a lot of nostalgia, and I I love that time of OU football. Gosh, I love I. I love hearing DeMarco Murray talk about that era of OU football like that. And it makes it's it's interesting to me, right? Because in that era, the thing that we saw the most from Brent Venables, I, I don't ever recall really hearing him talk a lot to the media. Maybe he did. It's just at, at that age, that's just not something I really paid attention that, you know, that much to. But the only thing that you really ever saw of Brent Venables in that era was him just being a psycho on the sidelines. <laughs> and so I it's great. It's great to hear DeMarco Murray talk about, you know, back when his playing days and that he was he was viewed as a player's coach even back then when if all you saw him on TV, you just saw him just losing his mind every single game. And so it's like I always love little nuggets like that. I I'm fascinated by people who can turn it on and off, who can be sort of an intense guy who yells and tries to get the best out of people, even 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 a little mean sometimes but is also able to shift into kind of that caring, um, like, you know, that, that caring vibe that he brings off where he does really care. And like, you, you go and listen to that Gabe and Teddy interview and that's, that's what's dripping off of him that entire, you know, interview, in my opinion. So I, I love hearing stuff like that. I, I love the little anecdote about him becoming familiar with Venables because, you know, he was going there to recruit Ryan Reynolds. I love stuff. I love hearing stuff like that. Just, you know, I mean, we, like, I, just hearing hearing you know DeMarco Murray name drop Ryan Reynolds is fun it just it takes me back to that era of of OU football it's it's cuz i mean a lot of people now it's just you know of course there's a lot of people who remember that name but i don't know it's fine there's, how, there's, how many people who just were were kids during then have no idea who that person is i, I, I love stuff that, like that yeah uh, yeah well i'll let you say more about that Venables podcast interview coming up uh let's keep it going 
I think I said a couple episodes ago that I'm looking forward to the first time we get to hear from Todd Bates because, again, Todd Bates is a guy that we really wanted as people who follow Oklahoma football, and so did Brent Venables, and boy, they got him. I, it, I mean, Todd Bates came up, and he said, like, the, the thought of going and coaching and, and working with Brent Venables, he, it was a tough decision, but he wanted to do it. Lee, are you, are you familiar with the comedian-slash-actor Hannibal Burris? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he kind of have him like and him. Todd Bates ever been been seen in the same room together. <laughs> that's funny. That's kind of funny. I uh, something tells me Todd Bates is a little more athletic than Hannibal Burris, uh, considering he played in the league. <laughs> Why are you booing me? I'm <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so uh, we're we're all excited about Todd Bates, and now we're also excited to hear his uh, stand up routine. Apparently, at least Grant is. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get that at some point. Uh, so yeah, he talked for the first time last week, and. Obviously, we're hoping that he can help Oklahoma bring in some high-level recruits on the defensive line, kind of get the Sooners back to producing first-round talent up front. So let's hear what Todd Bates has to say about that group. Man, I tell you what, I'm excited about the group, man. They are, they are hungry, um, they're humble, and they're hardworking. And they, um, they're, they're seeking knowledge every day for what we're doing as far as our scheme and our playbook because we'll run Coach Venable's defense that we ran at Clemson. They're excited about that, and I gauge their excitement. Their excitement by um, how many times they text me a day about the plays, how many times a day they coming in and trying to watch on their own, and um, I can tell you that's been really great. And according, you know, we did some of the same stuff they did last year, so I've been able to, you know, the, the biggest barrier for a player learning a new scheme is the verbiage and the, the lingo, and so what what I've challenged them to do is to try to speak our lingo and, and also share what they did last year um, so I can help them merge that and cut the learning curve. So, But I'm excited about it. They've been, they're on the right track doing that. We're looking forward to getting started on um, March 22nd. Yeah, I suppose we haven't even mentioned, yeah, spring practice starts March 22nd. I know uh, Harry was asking about that last podcast, so we have a, a spring practice start. And so, hey, in, in case anybody out there was worried that Oklahoma – was going to be running uh, Ted Roof's old system at Vanderbilt. Uh, Todd Bates clarified there that Oklahoma's going to be running Brent Venables' Clemson defense. That's good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so it sounds like the guys are hungry. They want to learn it. And why wouldn't they? I mean, if you're a defensive player, you got, like, you got to just be starving for everything from these guys because you know how good Clemson's defense is. And so that's what it sounds like is happening. And so that's the first time you heard from Todd Bates. Yeah, and any thoughts on that or anything else from Todd Bates you heard? Surprised you didn't surprised you didn't lead with the sound bites with this one. I mean him talking about how how guys are just watching film and texting him questions, that's gotta get you going, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh it 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 does, but you know, I've I've been kinda I don't know, it's I think what's what did you say earlier? Like it, like I'm not as excited about it anymore because I like hearing Kenneth Murray talk about how much you like to watch film and Oh, can, that's right. I watch Kenneth I'd watch Kenneth Murray continue to not look like he's ever watched tape ever when it came came to covering pass play. Like I was like, I don't know how much it even matters. Like some of these guys. So remember when you like, asked oh, Will Scar, Johnson before the Rose Bowl what uh, what what film he's watched in preparation? What Georgia games he's watched? Oh, God, yeah, I did. I can't even remember what happened, but I I want to say I, I probably felt like I had watched more film than they had, which. As I was watching, as I was watching the Rose Bowl live, I remember I was like calling out Georgia's some of Georgia's plays because 
I, I feel like I could have been on Oklahoma staff because I had a lot of time on my hands leading up to that game, and I was so excited about Oklahoma being in the Rose Bowl. And it was my, it was my first full year at News 9, so I was really excited about covering OU football. And they were really good. You know, we, I thought they were going to win. I, I, I thought this team could actually win a national championship. So I was putting as much time into that as I was, in a lot of ways, putting time into my actual job. Uh, and then uh, that game happened. But, yeah, so I've been kind of scarred on the whole film-watching stuff. I, I, you know, maybe it'll change, though, under this, under this coaching staff. I think, I, yeah, I mean, I think before that game, I, I watched at least every single one of their games twice, some of them three or four times probably. And after watching all of that, I concluded that they were going to lose. <laughs> oh, you, that is. So that was the defensive line. Uh, let's hear from Jay Vali. And this is a guy that coached at Alabama last year. And he's, he's hopped around, coached at Texas too. Uh, but this is a guy that, I, I mean, we hope that he can come in and get the cornerbacks playing better. God, how lame was that? So like you're, you're saying earlier, like you were saying, oh, man, like we were so excited about this new coaching staff, the Alex Grinch's of the world. You're like, and and you're right, we were, and and you're talking about like how many oh no, and then you're saying how many times in this podcast would would you talk about we would talk about Lincoln Riley's late game, um, late game um, bungle, play calling and decision making, yeah. I mean, what, you, I yeah, mean, so, you get the idea. And and so so my thing, and I forgot to say whenever you were saying that, how many times in this podcast in the last going into year six. Have I been super excited about defensive back play and cornerback play getting better? And then it just not. <laughs> like, I, I've spent way too many podcasts being like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what they're going to figure it out. And then it's like, uh, they'll play. So, so Jay Valai, maybe you're the answer. Maybe in, in mixed, obviously, with Brent Venables and Brandon Hall coaching the safeties and this new system. Maybe this is where the cornerbacks can maybe start to play better. Anyways, let's hear from Jay Vali on the corners. One thing we got is, I don't want to say hungry, but malnourished corners. Like, these guys are really, uh, you know, starving for, uh, to learn. You know, the, I'm going to say the intricacies, the details of the craft, the nuances by release, by split recognition. They love football, FBI, you know, football intelligence. Uh, you know, the one-two in our room is really high right now, too. And they're grinding, they're pushing each other. And, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, and sometimes there's sparks from iron sharpens iron, too. So they're pushing each other on a continued basis, not just on the field, but mentally as well, too. And I love being around guys like that. This culture right now we're building is really special, and guys are fighting on a daily basis. But being around those guys, you know, having young guys who are fighting and grinding, having older guys like my, my man Woody, who's been awesome with his mindset and his mentality and who he is as a man. Uh, to me, this room is really special, and, and I can't wait. Uh, I told those guys, don't play with a chip on your shoulder, play with a bag on your shoulder. You know, have that mindset uh, to go prove your worth. So they're excited, and I can't wait either, you know. All right, so confirmed, Jay Vali going to turn Woody Washington to a first-team All-American. Also, uh, really quick, he said FBI, football intelligence. That's something that's been lacking big time on the defensive side of the football for Oklahoma Really, since I've been situational awareness has been situational awareness. Yeah, you know what I, I I was about to say on the defense situational awareness in this program has been putrid since 2017. Putrid. I, I can't remember anybody ever saying football intelligence. Uh, I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe we asked Alex Grinch here and there about it, but like as we brought up on this podcast, it came to the point, especially this past season, where it was patently obvious that he had no answers. He had no answers to anything. And it, it, I, 
I felt so bad for him because <laughs> it's like, like the reason you have no answers, man, is because you're so married to your system that can be good, but I think only if you have awesome players. <laughs> and, and like he, he had no adjustments. Uh, but anyways, like big time football guy. I actually it's like, I love yeah, Alex you Banks. ask. I think he's a nice guy. You gotta, yeah. you gotta, you have, you have like first round corners. You just ask him to play man coverage. Yeah, your defense gonna be really good. You got, you got NFL defensive linemen. You just ask them to just get around the offensive line. Yeah, pretty good. You got Kenneth Murray as just a shock trooper going around. Yeah, he can probably be pretty good. You know, that stuff. You know, if that all that stuff doesn't come together, or I don't know, you roll out the exact same scheme for three consecutive years. And the Big 12 finally understands it. And doesn't matter if you got a bunch of dudes on the defensive line who are likely going to get drafted in the first three rounds. You're <laughs> Whatever. I, I, yeah. ha- okay. I hate 2021 so much. I hate it so, <laughs> so much. So much. So much. All right. So let's finish up the, the soundbite portion with my guy. My, my newest guy, Miguel Chavis. And I, I texted you during Miguel Chavis' press conference. I said, Grant, you're going to love... Miguel Chavis so many different sound bites I got two of them uh I'll, I'll play the first one I, I, I think I feel like he's talking right to you I feel like, like it, it's almost like you guys are hanging out and you were like hey man so like how's it going tell me something about yourself and Miguel was like oh Grant let me tell you this about myself I'm a fan of of, of college football right and I'm a coach yeah I play but I'm a fan man I love the game and it's a developmental game and um, I appreciate and enjoy and respect what they do in the NFL, man. But I think there's something that's very, very unique about uh, 18 to 22 year olds being able to use the game to invest and mold them. And so, uh, with that being said, I, I watched and understood the landscape of college football. And, and when I thought about the top uh, of college football, that, that kind of that first tier, man, I, I couldn't think about it without thinking about Oklahoma. Ah, well, I mean, it's just. Boom. He sums it right up there for you, Grant. I mean, he loves college football, especially Oklahoma. I, too, love <laughs> college football. I mean, it's good no, to hear. This guy, I, I would hope he, he loves college football if he's decided to dedicate his career to it. Well, this will back it up because uh, later he was asked about... Hopefully I got it. Yeah, here it is. Uh, he, he was asked what it was like because he's, he's been an off-the-field type coach. I mean, this is his first on-field coaching job. And I, I, I think uh, Todd Bates said he's a, he's an elite um, encourager. I mean, he's, he's able to get the most out of guys. I mean, guys love him. And he was a big-time people person. I don't think I've ever seen a press conference. I mean, there's versions of this, but Miguel Chavos was very intentional at this press conference. It's the first time he's been you know, around the, the media at Oklahoma. Maybe the first time he's done anything like this, because it probably is. I, I don't think he would have done something like this at Clemson. And he was very, like, whoever asked the question, he would say, what's your, what's your name? All right, hey, thanks, Grant. Like, great to meet you, Grant. And he, would, he wanted to make sure he got everybody's name. So he seems like one of those guys that you can, you can see it, like why he's so successful probably on the recruiting trail. And he said, like, he said I, I love people. And I, that might even be in, in this sound, but I'm about to play you. But he was asked, you know, going on the recruiting trail, you know, what was that like for you? I, I don't know if this is the first time he's been able to go out to recruit. I, I think it is. Because his answer is pretty good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, awesome. Like, I felt like I was cheating in life. Like, like even right now, man, being up here, like, this is unbelievable. You know what I mean? And uh, just because it doesn't feel like work. It's, it's what I love doing. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, the guy 
the guy's living his dream his dream job at the, and and so is i think uh if i remember brandon hall kind of said very similar things to that as well uh, i mean all these guys are absolutely on top of the world they they love being at oklahoma they love the position they're in and uh, it just as somebody who went to the school we both did we do a podcast about it uh, i saw mike Houck, the sid put out a tweet after this this big press conference lasted two hours and i've you know mike He's worked at OU for years. He's an OU guy. You know, he's not from Oklahoma. Uh, I think Mike told me he went to. I think he went to Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsin guy. I think he went to Wisconsin. Yeah. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, that's uh, uh, Mike said, that's hey. really unfortunate. That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, you know, I I feel really good about this, this the way this program is going, and 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 I agree. It's it was a lot of warm and fuzzies, but at the same time, though just to kind of bring it all the way back around to the theme of this podcast, really that you kind of started it and you're right. It's all talk. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's good that it sounds good right now. <laughs> uh, but Miguel Chavis was great. Hall was great. Um, good to hear from all of them. And uh, you know, spring practice starts March 22nd. Anything else uh, you want to add about Miguel Chavis or any of the other guys? And then uh, before you get into this, the Brent Venables, when you want to talk about him? No, I mean, I just, I know um, early returns on the recruiting trail is, Miguel Chavis is a star is go is is going to be a guy that other programs are going to come after probably at some point in time which is awesome that that's I guess we'll, I mean from a recruiting standpoint that seems to be the case you know we'll, we'll see if he's able to develop guys in his in his room um you know this th- I'm not too worried about this guy I <laughs> he's he seems to be uh he seems to be in the position that was sort of made for him and so I do think um, I remember when he was hired. I think they were saying that he was a big time factor at Clemson for like on official visits. So like when recruits were on campus, he played a really big role in that recruiting scene. But yeah, I mean this is this is the first time he's actually been out on the road. And listening to him talk on Thursday, last Thursday, he and Todd Bates are like super tight. Uh, like they go hand in hand, which. That works out great, considering one coaches defensive ends, one coaches defensive tackles. And there needs to be a quite a bit of cooperation on you know <laughs> they're all in the in, on the same position group basically. So, I mean, yeah, er, early returns are great. It's like that's that's why like my like sort of like my you know the alarm bells are going off in my head is because like surface level everything looks great, everything looks great, man, and so. Yeah, it's like when that happens, it doesn't really seem like there's anything you can criticize. The first thing that comes into my mind is, ah, what what are we missing? What am I missing? Because like I feel like we should have been asked, you know, and it's super easy to say this in retrospect, but we should have been asking that the entire tenure of the other guy. What are we missing? Something's off. Like, hey, man, this man, they didn't come into this game prepared. Man, this is this has happened way too many times. This season happened last season. Oh man, he screwed up fourth quarter play calling again let the other team get in the game oh man they got up by 17 but they couldn't put their their foot on the throat in those situations we should have been like what are we missing this is consistent what like they're not separating for teams they're not blowing teams out what are we missing well i guess what we're missing is that he wasn't fully bought in all the way like like and the reason why like yeah we would ask that stuff or we would kind of wonder i'm sure and we would criticize it but again i go back to what i said probably half an hour ago or so I don't think anybody thought the guy was was going to leave for a college job. Like if Lincoln Riley's going to leave, it's for the NFL. So it was almost like, I, I yeah, we we could ask what's missing, but it's like, well, he's going to be here. Like, <laughs> like he's going to be here, and time's going to go on, and we just hope that he's going to figure it out. 
And 2021 was supposed to be kind of the year. And yeah, and then it it didn't. It from the beginning, from week one, it was like, ah, eh, what's going on here? But uh, yeah, we were all kind of trying to convince ourselves that it wasn't as bad as we thought. And yeah, and it turns out it was a horrible year by Oklahoma standards. Still a great year by college football standards. And then the guy leaves. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I still think though, like there was. Because they went eleven and two, it's like that's not something that you can like. But there was just something about the games that just were not fun. That were just, it's just like you saw the same problems over and over again. And it's just like it's. It almost felt like you were being whenever you were watching the games, you were being gaslighted the entire time. Because it's just like interesting. Okay, it's like I see this stuff on on camera. I see this every week. This is exactly how they looked last week. Do these like do they not see this? And then they, they come, they, you know, and of course, like it's turned into a, you know, it turned into an infamous thing at this point, but he kept saying, we're close, we're close, and it did. It felt like we were in gaslighting. <sighs> All right, well, let's see. Uh, okay, so what did you want to talk about with uh, Brent Venable's podcast interview? Anything else you want to, like, because I, I mean, I listened to it. I, I, you, you mentioned the fact that he went on for 35 minutes in the first question. I thought that was weird. Like, that, that's bizarre, but... I love Brent Venables. I think he's great. I think it. he's just super excited. Like Teddy Lehman had to jump in, or maybe he was gay biker, had to like jump in just to ask question number two. And then that went on for, his answer went on for another, I think, 10 or 15 minutes, and they had to jump in again. By the time, like, I, I think, and we're on, we're, we disagree here, and I'll, I, I'm going to put words in your mouth, or what you kind of told me in text. Like, I think the fan base is going to like it, and that's great. That's what, that's what matters. The fan base and the players and the coaches – um, I guess you know I've I've heard all of his availability so far. So he was saying a lot of the same stuff I've always heard, or what I've heard so far. And so to me, it was just him kind of going on and on and on and on and on, and he would repeat himself here and there. But once I had texted you this, once they got into finally talking some ball, talking some football, because a lot of it was just kind of more philosophy, just kind of how it's been going. They started talking some football towards the very tail end of the interview, and they were able to get some questions in. And I thought the interview got really really good. Because they were asking about, like, hey, man, like, you're going to call the defense. Like, what do you, like, what's spring going to be like? And that's whenever he actually, his answers weren't super long. He, he was letting him talk back and forth. So I thought the second half of the interview was a lot more interesting. It had a lot more uh, information that I, I found useful. The first part of it, I, I think, was probably, I mean, it was fine. It's just maybe the fans and the fan base will like it a lot more. I, I just kind of already heard a lot of that stuff already. Yeah, so and, and like about? I understand. I mean, you're just you're you're just talking about what your perspective is. That's fine. I um, I guess how I looked at it is that it was just it's a it was a guy, and like I don't think it's that weird. I thought if if you're gonna criticize it, it's more like Gabe and Teddy needed to jump in more. Like that, it was more of just a like it's a long form podcast, and like it's not lost on me. I think how what the impact of that is. People like these long-form podcasts, and I'm not just talking about Gabe and Ted. I'm talking about any long-form podcast because you can really dig into details, and also they feel a lot more intimate. And the reason why I didn't mind that kind of 35-minute rambling as, as much as you did is because the entire time I was thinking to myself, man, Lincoln Riley wouldn't do this in a million years. He would never sit down at a, on a podcast and talk. Which is like, and it's... That's a, it, that podcast that Gabe and Teddy is for the fan base. So Brent Venables knew going on to that, he was going to talk for over an hour and he was talking to the fan base. And so the reason why I liked that was because he was explicitly 
laying out his vision of the program. And it was, some of it was rambly and some of it was, but it didn't come off as rambly to me. It came off as somebody who was really passionate about what he's, about what he believes, what he's, what he's preaching and that he, he loves it so much and he's so passionate. He just couldn't shut up about it. And I, the reason it didn't bother me as much is because his message is utterly perfect. I mean, that, that is the perfect message. And especially just, he, he kept going back. He kept using the word intentional, intentional, intentionality. And this is something that is, I, I think, you know, as, as the generations, you know, after us come up more and their, and like their lives, honestly, materializing will be a lot easier with, with phones and, and a lot of stuff that just technological events that make your life a lot easier. There are a lot of trials and tribulations they're not going to have to go through. Um, I think those generations, this idea of intentionality is going to be lost on a lot of people. And I think for, for 2021, for this new generation of people coming in, you have to have a program that is obsessed with the details. Because as a society, we are not obsessed with the details. As a society, we are just kind of, a lot of times living in our own world and sort of just kind of governed a lot of the times by how we feel. And, and he's, he's, he's coming on explicitly saying, you can't do that. That's not going to take you very far. And this is, and I guess it, it, it speaks to me because I'm 31 years old. I turned 32 in a few months. Um, the older I get, the further and further I get away from college and from high school and all that stuff, I start to think to myself, man, I wish that message was emphasized in my life before I got to this point. Big time. I've never, the stuff about intentionality and all that stuff, I had heard, I've ne- that stuff's new. I haven't heard, that's like, I heard the concept of intentionality for the first time like three years ago in my life. Um, and so like that's that's too late. That's too late for a lot of the like, you know. And so I just love it. And and I just I go back to you go, you know, listen to this podcast from a year ago as we were talking about how excited we were for the 2021 season. I said over and over again, if they're going to win a national title in 2021, they're going to win it right now. It's not going to be in the fall, it's going to be right now. And it's going to be because of the process. And I bring up Nick Saban in Alabama all the time. Nick Saban never talks about the end result ever. Their standard in Alabama's building is getting better every single day. What do we have to do to challenge ourselves just to get better? We don't care about the score on the scoreboard because we know if we challenge ourselves and we're intentional in what we do day in and day out, it doesn't matter. The scoreboard's going to take care of itself. Lincoln Riley always, always 100% of the time emphasized the scoreboard, the end result. Listen to anybody who has ever been majorly successful at any high-level anything. Nick Saban, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. It does not matter at all. You cannot be focused on that end result. The only thing that you can be focused on is the process and getting better every single day. And that's what Brent Venables was talking about on, on that podcast, and I loved it. Because that, if, if I had to circle one thing, one magic bullet from the Lincoln-Riley era that this program was sorely lacking, and it was clear that they were sorely lacking, it's emphasis on intention and process and not just the end result on the end scoreboard. You, saw, you, you heard Lincoln-Riley say it numerous times over the course of the year. And also some of the, some of the players, too, who are kind of confused. We're still winning. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. The problem is you're emphasizing what the scoreboard says and not getting personally better within those walls. And like it's just there's so there's just so many examples of that mindset winning out in the end that it's positively insane for you not to highlight that as a major building block of your program. It's insane. 
And the fact that like Brent Venables is coming in and he's he is making it the number one emphasis of his program, that's the best evidence so far that OU is going to turn into a monster under him. By far. I can't remember what his quote was from one of the videos they put out a couple weeks ago. We talked about it, I think, on the last episode. It was something like where, uh, like, if you're, ah, man, I, I'm going to mess it up. It was something to do with your goals or if you're, if you're hard work or, it, like, is, is more further than whatever your goals are, then you know, your goals will take care of itself. I, I'm butchering it, but that's kind of what you're saying, basically. It's like, like everybody wants to win a national championship. Everybody wants to win. But it all kind of starts here and doing the dirty stuff. Nobody wants to do the hard stuff. Nobody's watching. And it, it's hard for a reason because it's you don't get immediate results. You know, you get immediate results from a game on a Saturday, you know, in three hours, three and a half hours, you're going to get, you know, whether you win or loss, immediate results. But you don't get immediate results from, heck, okay, let's, let's try to increase my, my squat number. Like, you start squatting. Oh, I'm, I'm squatting 300 pounds, whatever. Like, you're not going to get up to 450 by next Monday. It's not going to happen. It, it, it just, that's what that, and so it's, and that's what makes things so difficult. And not, not just football, but everything. And I think that's, that's being stressed a lot. It just kind of add on to your point. I think the best, I think, I think the best way, you know, to, to picture it is, man, if OU wins a national championship, you really think about it, that's one night. Game happens in one night. It's over. They win it. It's, it's fun. It's great. You go to bed. You wake up the next morning. It's over. It's done. What are you going to remember the most? You remember the process. You're going to remember all the crappy stuff you did with your teammates that sucked in the moment, but, you, it's, but for whatever reason, you can look back on it with nostalgia and, with, and, and, and you know, through, um, you can look at it positively. So, and I think I that's, what, that. and that's what he's... That's what he's. That's what, that's what Brent Venables, I, I think, is emphasizing too when he's talking about how we we, we want to set you up for life. We want you to have a good life. Because man, hey, even if you win the national championship, man, the next morning you wake up, it's already the next season. That's a really good point. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that that way, but the, just in that, yeah, no, that's that's life good. is if, if life is coach, very should, fleeting. Should... Good moments, good vibes, good feelings is very fleeting. Very. Yeah. It's one of the hardest lessons any human being will ever learn. And it's, it's a lot better to learn those lessons when you're surrounded by a bunch of teammates and you're playing a game between yeah. 18 and 22 That's, years old. We'll tell you that. I mean, you and I, I mean, not at the same level as these guys, but everyone that's played sports has versions of that. Everyone. I mean, it's, it's important. You learn a lot. And you, you build up camaraderie and you, you have relationships forever. And I'm sure people listen to this podcast are probably nodding their head thinking about certain times that uh, they had with their teammates and when they played ball. So good stuff. Uh, again, spring practice, March 22nd. Uh, the spring game, March, or March, April 23rd. That came out. It's Saturday, April 23rd. And also we're getting a Baker Mayfield statue that day, Grant. Baker Mayfield finally going to get that statue. And uh, interesting. So I... Like it's spring, sure, but like, will the sp I don't know. Like, the spring games, obviously, it's it's not Alabama. Like Alabama, I think they might sell out the spring game, I, I or get close. Like it, they usually get pretty darn close. I don't know. Oklahoma doesn't do that, or maybe Nebraska. Yeah, I don't know if Oklahoma is that kind of program, unfortunately. But 
Sure would be kind of cool if, if they get close. If they're going to do it, in, if it's going to happen in a year, it'll be this year, you would think. I'll, I'll be there, probably. Yeah. So the, the only thing on this, I mean, we'll have all spring to talk about the spring game or whatever, but my first thought, honestly, when I saw the, the Mayfield thing, I thought, does Lincoln Riley show up for this? No, absolutely not. He's not welcome. Like, I'm dead serious. <laughs> Would Baker Mayfield want him there? There's a part of me that thinks I mean, uh, probably not. I don't know. I mean, the, here's the thing. USC, the last time I checked, has not set a date for a spring game. Did Oklahoma just do the work for him? Are they going to set it now for April 23rd? So there's uh, not going to be that. Oh, sorry. I, th- I, I guess like I saw, I, I, think I, I saw this question posed on Sooner Scoop too. It's not... There is a negative percent chance that Lincoln Riley shows up for this. He cannot. He can't. There's not, it would, like, there's, there's, there's multiple reasons he can't show up. One, but the utmost reason he cannot show up is because as soon as he shows up, he's the story and Baker Mayfield is no longer the story. So maybe, maybe he will show up oh, in that okay. regard. Okay, interesting. Oh. <laughs> but actually, I, I don't That's think, I, I actually don't think Lincoln Riley is like that. I don't think Lincoln Riley is like an attention uh, W-H-O-R-E. I don't think he is. He's, he's not. I just love how you spelled that out. Hey, we're trying. Hey, man, we don't want that little E it. next to our podcast. We're not trying. This is, this is a family-friendly podcast. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, he's, he's and not going to be And no, uh, I'm, I'm anti-boo. I don't like I have a very like explicit rule of you don't boo anything on the field except for an official on. just just I, I think I misheard you I just want to make sure I heard you right so you're you're anti boo uh, but not anti booze is that correct yeah thank you for that <laughs> distinction I've always said the only okay just the make only sure. human being between the lines you should ever be booing is is a person with stripes on if that's the if, if Lincoln Riley shows up to that spring game and I'm there I will, uh, that rule will be suspended for, for a day. I, like, I, <laughs> he deserves it. If he, if he had, like, I mean, I think there'd be part of me that would be, that kind of respect it. But no, I mean, there's not, I, I, if he is out in the sunlight, the entire crowd will be booing. It doesn't even matter if there's a camera on him or anything. Like, it just doesn't. Yeah, that's true. I just know, I mean, he, he and Mayfield are close, so I just, but. Yeah, I guess there's a time and a place. That probably ain't it. Uh, speaking of Lincoln Riley, uh, one of his former quarterbacks took a little bit of a shot at him. Uh, I, this is the last thing I, I, I kind of had. And I, we got some uh, West of Everest Facebook page comments we can go through here in a second. But uh, Spencer Rattler, uh, at South Carolina now, saying that he's learned probably more in a month at South Carolina than he has in his entire college career. <laughs> uh, and more from Rattler said quote with these pro style systems in the film we are watching I think it elevates everybody's game on the team mentally and physically on the field end quote um a little bit of sour grapes Spencer Rattler Grant uh even more so than maybe Oklahoma fan base like holy cow like that's uh you know he um there's no way that's that's true I mean no, I mean like, I, I mean that's that's like, a 20 year old kid being hyperbolic for sure but like yeah, I mean, of course there's, he's gonna have sour grapes. He deserves he, he like he's he's got every right to feel to feel upset about that entire situation. He 100 percent deserved to be replaced by Caleb Williams, but it's the it's but it's Lincoln, Lincoln Riley failed him, completely failed Spencer Rattler. 
Yeah. And I'm looking at another quote from Rattler. And this kind of goes along with the point you were making a moment ago about Oklahoma focusing more on the scoreboard versus focusing on the process. And though this is a quote from Rattler last week. He said, quote, last year things went how they went. I couldn't control it. I feel like as a player I was doing fine enough. We were undefeated at the time. I guess it wasn't enough. I can't control that. I'm just happy to be here now, end quote. I, I mean, Spence, man, like, yeah, you guys were undefeated, but it wasn't necessarily because you were playing that well, man. Like, it, and you know that. Like, he, he knew that. Even when he, he played his best kind of football against Kansas State, it still was not anywhere near as good as he had played the year before in 2020. And so it kind of goes back to like, hey, like we were winning. Like I, I don't get it. I, it's like, yeah. I mean, but the guy behind you came in, and I still and, don't understand. Or, or, I guess technically, it? like, like, like you weren't. They weren't winning in the Texas game, and he got benched for Caleb Williams, and Caleb Williams then helped them win the game. So I, I, don't I still know. can't yeah. understand how he like his. It, it wasn't it like everything. He regressed in every regard. In 21, like I, I went back. Like I, I watched some of the stuff from 2020. He, like the NFL arm talent was very apparent. Was there? 2021, man, he had a freaking water pistol attached to it. Like it was his. He had nowhere near the same velocity on any of his throws. Like his, he regressed as an athlete. It was head. I mean, just that total head scratcher. Garbage season. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I'm really rooting for him. Like it's, you know, now that we know the context of oh, how so the, am I. so am I. Now that we know the context of the entire season, like it's not. I totally absolve Spencer Rattler of everything. I mean, it's, it's all. It was all his head coach, 100. percent Yeah, and and he handled it well. I mean, we all we we knew the way he should have handled it after he got benched, and he did it. He did exactly what he should have done, and now he's in uh, a program that's got a an awesome guy head coach. Uh, Satterfield's their offensive coordinator. I think it's is it Scott Satterfield. It's not. Is, it's is not Scott Satterfield. Satterfield. Scott Satterfield is still the head coach at Louisville. Um, but Louisville. I th- yeah. It might be his brother though. It's a different one. It might be his brother. I. I know we've talked about this. I feel like. But yeah, yeah. Spencer. He uh, did. Yeah. yeah. He 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 handled it really well. I think there was some talk in the first few days afterwards that he wasn't handling it very great, but it never really spilled out. You know, from those walls, and he. The rest of the season, like he he showed up and he did his job, and he's he. I think he got rewarded for that. You know, he's now he's now going to a what he probably thinks is a better situation. Definitely going to a spot that he he likes the head coach more, like obviously. Um, and he's and he also I think the OU fan base as a whole is really rooting like hell for him. I I don't think I don't think there's any OU fan that doesn't wish him the absolute. But I hope he wins the Heisman. Uh, Marcus Satterfield's our offensive coordinator. Let's go to the West of Evers Facebook page. A couple of comments. Philip says, do we have any insight on what the defense will look like or how it will be different? I'm sure they aren't talking any X's and O's, but any talk on philosophy or approach from the new defensive staff? Hopefully we kind of touched on that a little bit today already on the show, Philip. Uh, I mean, they're running Brent Venables' defense at Clemson. We played just some Todd Bates, some Valai. So uh, you want to you know what it's going to look like? Put on some Clemson tape. And that'll probably give you a pretty good idea. Maybe early Clemson. Maybe, heck, go check out Venables' first year at Clemson whenever they were they were new to that defense. I don't know. Maybe that would be a good way. Or, heck, 
put on a you know 1999 OU football <laughs> first year of Venables and Mike Stoops and uh, Bobby Jack Wright was there which I, I guess I didn't know until recently that he was also a, a I think a co-coordinator on those teams so uh, hopefully I, I hopefully we kind of answer that a little bit Philip uh, Mark says from the West of Everest Facebook page he says I'd like to know or if anyone has asked what Jeff Lebby thinks about Brent Venables or what he thought about Brent Venables keeping most of the offensive assistant coaches from the old staff. I was really surprised that Lebby didn't bring anyone from Ole Miss. And it's my understanding that it's taking a bit for the coaches to learn the new playbook. And so I, I got to apologize to Mark. I can't remember if he was directly at, if Lebby was directly asked that. And the one time we've talked to him, it was a zoom like a month ago. I don't know if he was asked that directly. I will say yes. Uh, Kale Gundy, Bill Biedenboe talked about how the terminology is different, learning the lingo. But it sounds like the offenses, though, are not too terribly different, uh, at least based on Biedenboe saying that we ran some of the same stuff last year. So maybe he's just speaking offensive linemen, which I guess is probably what he is. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, Jeff Lebby and Joe John Finley are best friends. So I think he was going to be retained either way by Lebby. Uh, and then, you know, Lebby being a, an OU guy, an OU alum, and it's, it's, a, it's a really small, the coaching tree, like every, the coaching world's very small. So I, I'm not, I don't know, I, I, I guess I don't, I don't want to speak for Jeff Lebby, but something tells me that he has no problem with DeMarco Murray being there and Bill Beaton. I mean, these are, these are really good coaches, and it kept that continuity, too, to keep a lot of those offensive players there potentially as well. So uh, it's, it's a good question. Maybe we'll get a chance to ask Lebby that more specifically later on. I also on. think uh, he did. Uh, Phil Lodeholt is, came over from Ole Miss as, a, as an analyst, too. So there's, um, I know it's not on field, but I mean, there's some familiarity there. Um, I, you know, I, I think this is a good question. I, I hadn't heard that, you know, about the coaches maybe struggling, sort of picking up the terminology, the lingo. Um, this is actually something that Dylan Gabriel being on campus makes way better. This, that actually kind of, that completely alleviates any concern I have about that because it's really the quarterback that, you know, the end result is you want the quarterback to know everything. That's, that's, that's the guy that I feel him and the offensive coordinator have to be in cahoots with each other. And that's the case already. You, you, you would think that, you know, if he doesn't know all of the lingo and the terminology already, Dylan Gabriel is pretty darn close. Um, so, I, I mean, I, that's going to help enormously, I feel. Yeah, I agree. It's a good point. Uh, so those are all the questions and comments from the West of Everest Facebook page. Appreciate you guys leaving that there for us. Um, that about does it for me. Anything else going on that you want to hit on? I know there's a lot. I mean, there's kind of a lot going on. Got, but, man, I mean, we've done 90 got minutes. combine thoughts? I don't really have any, but. I really don't have any, no. I I, uh, I, I really don't. I, uh, this was the least interested in the combine I've been in a long time. I, I I don't know. I, you, know you, you know what it was? I It being a little later than normal, like it was a pretty busy weekend with other stuff going on. Like I had a, like there was high school basketball, state tournament stuff going on this past Saturday here in Oklahoma, like small school. But, you know, normally the combine is late February and it's kind of like its own thing. There's not really else, anything else going on. And so I, I think I can watch more of it. I guess I was just more distracted this year because the Super Bowl was, a, I think, a week later. So everything was kind of pushed back. And I don't know if that really factored in, or maybe it was just because, I don't know, oh, you didn't have a, a quarterback in it, but I don't know. 
Sounds like Benito and uh, Perry on Winfrey and some of those guys. Isaiah are, Thomas was uh, actually had a pretty they, good combine too. And Thomas um, too. Thought right. um, I didn't see uh, Kennedy Brooks uh, ran a lot better than I did. He ran like a four five seven, I think, uh, which surprised me. I think uh, DTY ran a four four, which is and he ran a four four seven, I think, uh, which is interesting. So other than that, yeah, it doesn't. Good. It seems like kind of Jeremiah Hall was the only one who didn't really have a great combine, but. I don't think that surprises anyone yeah, man, athletically. Is. Yeah, no. It looks like it looks like fast. Mike Woods. He, 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 he might have been the slowest yeah. tight end. Look at Mike Woods had a pretty decent combine. Um, I already said Kennedy Brooks. So yeah, I mean that, that that was fun to see. I thought the most interesting part of the combine though is that it was the most people like ever running under a four four, and and like I look at that and I'm just like that's just because the the preparation process has gotten a lot better. Those guys aren't that fast. These, the guys coming through aren't faster than the dudes that have come through in the last handful of years. They're just, some, I mean, the, the prep work has just gotten better leading up to it is my feeling on it. But um, no, definitely, definitely interesting stuff. I don't know. Do you have any, um, what are your thoughts on uh, OU basketball going into uh, basically the their season on Thursday against Baylor? They, they got to win that game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we all kind of agree. They they beat Baylor. They're probably in the tournament. Yeah, and they're probably out if they lose. But I don't know. I mean, their their resume. I, I know they don't have a whole lot of quad one wins, but they played a lot of quad one games. It's Seventeen quad and one games. I don't think it's that much. I think it's like fourteen. It's like fourteen. They're or three. I thought I saw that uh, they're three and fourteen in quad one games. Last well, I saw, I was three and eleven. You know, like that always that always changes because like every I think it's based off of the current rankings, so it's not like whenever you beat the team, it's like where they're ranked now in a way. Like because I because I, I think at some point they had four quad one wins, now they only have three. So like it's so obviously if they beat Baylor, that's going to be a quad one win, uh, duh. Uh, but like I don't know. I mean, it depends on how much they're gonna. I mean, their record's not going to be very good if they lose to Baylor. So how much like i mean every year there's like one or two random teams that make it and you're like god their record's not very good and then they might win a game in the tournament it's just i i do want to see this team in the tournament to see what they do against a non-big 12 opponent but i mean i suppose you could make the argument that if they can't beat baylor then they probably don't deserve to be in anyways yeah and, you know, you know they, they should have they they should have won a couple of those non-conference games early in the year where we were thinking like ah, i really hope that these games don't hurt their tournament resume in March. The, the Utah are. State and Butler <laughs> losses are hurt a lot. I, I think they'd, you just, you add those two wins to their resume. They're probably in right now. Um, and so, I mean, those really hurt. Obviously, I mean, that the their home game against Kansas that we were at, that they lost, that hurts. Losing it overtime to Texas really hurts. Um, you know, stuff like that. It, you know, is this one of the best 65 teams in the country? Definitely. De- definitely. Um but they just, for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to close out. You got Elijah Harkless hurt now, and I, you know, they haven't lost since he's gotten hurt, which is kind of ironic. But um, Wait, yeah, they have. have. They? <laughs> uh, they've won three in a row. Yeah, they lost their fir- they lost their first two. Has he been out that long already? Yeah, yeah. Their their first game after he he got hurt was that Iowa State game. Oh, I guess I just totally blocked that game out of my memory. I didn't even think about that. Um. But no, I just it's been kind of I remember, you know, kind of around this time or in April of last year after they got all the transfers and I said on the podcast, I this is I was definitely a an NCAA tournament team. Um and that's, you know, that's clearly not the case right now, although I mean the the chance is still there. 
but I, you know, I, I'll cop up to it. I totally, I completely overrated Tanner Groves coming into the season. Um, and I, I think it's totally reasonable to overrate him. I, he was not only was the guy, you know, and I think some people have sort of said it like, eh, maybe our expectations on the guy were too high, but I was like, no, they weren't. He, he absolutely should have had high expectations coming in. Not like his only thing on his resume is not that he just scored 35 points against Kansas in the NCAA tournament. That he was, he was whatever, he was the conference player of the year, whatever conference he was in last year. I think it was the big sky. It was the, yeah, he was the big sky player of the year. And why I didn't necessarily think that that means he meant he was going to come in right away and be the big 12 player of the year, or even be first team all big 12. I don't think it's that unreasonable to, to think that take random player of the year from a mid-major conference and put him in the big 12 and he's probably going to be a top 10 to 15 player in the conference that's not at all an unreasonable expectation and tanner grove just wasn't that at all and i that's he's got to get a lot better well, he's just super inconsistent he's, i mean he's been really good the last three games very, and they haven't they haven't played ranked he's, teams that's the thing it's like he's very unathletic oh, sorry, he's just ahead. not very athletic he really he's just he's he's atrocious defensively I, I don't I wouldn't say he's Detroit defensively I just I think he's just inconsistent I don't yeah he's not that athletic but that doesn't matter that much I mean it matters sometimes but like if he can like when he's shooting fine doesn't matter like the past few games he's been able to rebound really well he's been able to crash the boards uh actually the last game he only had four rebounds but I think three of those four were he he got offensive rebounds and got putbacks and scored on all three of the four of them um pr- prior to that he had uh double doubles so I mean when he's rebounding and scoring, Oklahoma can win any any game. That's the thing. That's, it's like, like, and then you throw in Mo Gibson, who has also been inconsistent. But when he, he's he's shooting the ball well, it's tough to beat Oklahoma. But there's plenty of teams out there where you can say, oh, if this guy is making his shots, they're going to win. It's like, yeah, okay, that's basketball. Yeah, that's kind of that's like why I hesitate to say it. it's like with OU. I mean, it's they they don't turn it over and they shoot thirty five to forty percent from three. They can beat anybody, and I think they've proven that over the course of the season. I, I mean, it's well, turnovers are just that they're that's what they are. I mean, they're going to turn the ball over at least 14 times a game. I mean, that's just that's who they are. That's not going anywhere. And the fact, the fact that they've won so many games with that type of turnover uh, number, and it's been consistent basically all year is kind of nuts. And I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on this podcast, but over time at Loyola Chicago, the turnovers go down. And so this is year one under Porter Moser that I, I love his system because this, the system gets efficient shots. It's open shots. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the yeah. amount of wide-open threes they've just freaking bricked this year is astounding. I, like, I, I mean, it's... And those are... And like, I'm the type of... If you got a wide-open three-man, you deserve to get punched in the face if you don't take it. You got to take that shot. <laughs> and so it's just like... It's, it absolutely blows my mind that, I mean, they're just... They're such a poor three-point shooting team, but then they'll just randomly have games where they're unconscious. They just can't miss. Yeah, and that's that's. It's always one. It's frustrating. Guy. It's it's always just it's it's one player, um, and clearly Porter Moser left Loyola as a really healthy program because they're like even better this season. It's like the best team they've had. Like they're really good. <laughs> I think they're going to win their conference tournament. They, they already won, did. Won their conference. They won it on Sunday. The first time. Yeah, and uh, they're they're technically like they're higher than Oklahoma is on like all these the net rankings and stuff like that. So, I don't know. So, they were you know, Ken kind Palm of is kind situation. of the. The, the standard for college basketball. I think Loyola was like a top five team in Ken Palm last season. And I don't, I don't, I don't think no, that's the case this year. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the Ken Palm rankings say, but uh, the net rankings though have the Ramblers at number twenty-four. How about this though? This is this is interesting. Like oh, this okay. is one of the more interesting um, like developments. I don't know, but I mean, you remember Alondis Williams? He was kind of he's kind of just a, a bit player. On the of course, yeah. He's like, is he leading the ACC? The in ACC Player of the Year for 2021-22 basketball season. How is that even possible? Yeah, that's interesting because I, because I was really under the the idea that if Porter Moser wanted a guy to stay, that guy was going to stay, and maybe I'm wrong about that because I'm Alondis might have thought I, I got to get out and go somewhere else. But the question is, though, I mean, the ACC is down. It's not that good. I mean, does he do this in the Big 12? I mean, no, but, like, wouldn't it be nice to still have? He averaged, like, averaged like 26 and 6 a game. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, shot over 50% from the field. I think, actually, also, oh, yeah, a great year. Uh, former him. OU player Cam McGusty was also first-team All-ACC. Well, that was a while. I mean, that was a while ago. But Cam McGusty is in the yeah, ACC? Yeah, Miami. And I think Brady Manick's having a pretty. Brady good Manick year too. had a pretty good season, so it's actually like they they might have had some. They might have had a really good team if I mean even if I, if if Alondis Williams just would have stayed because they I mean they needed a score. They needed a, a guard who could who could score with yeah. consistency. Yeah, no, like we'll see if Alondis and uh, Brady Manick end up becoming uh, tournament darlings. I don't know. You we'll got see. like. And you got Austin Reeves, who is who's been one of the best rookies in the NBA this year, and uh, that's just interesting. I don't I don't know what Davion Harmon did at Oregon. That's where he went, right? Yeah, I I mean I think he's starting for him. I mean Oregon's going to make the tournament, uh, but I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, I, that's all I have. That's that's enough basketball talk. Uh, next what next week? Uh, we'll see if we have a show next week. Unclear. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, week after that, spring practice starts. So that might be a more logical one to do on the, even though I think uh, I could be going down there for that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, stay tuned to the, for the West of Evers Facebook page for updates. Uh, any final thoughts? Nib high football rules. All right. Indeed it does. All right. That does it for us. We'll let you know when the next episode is on the West of Evers Facebook page. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.